better. Follow along with your devices. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in, in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because, of, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Um, let me pray. God, thank you for your uh, unending grace and search to be with us. Um, and we thank you for these words of John uh, that he recorded so that we would know your life and light and that we would know Christ and um, Lord we pray that as Joel reflects on these words uh, that you would bless us all and I pray for him as he speaks um, that you would continue to provide clarity and goodness in the words that he provides. May our hearts be um, open and encouraged and challenged as we need to be. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, good evening. Um, I was chatting with someone through the week and they said um, the, first, the first months of a church plant are kind of this um, weird, heady kind of phase where it's almost like you're starting up a new band and everyone's got together and it's just really rusty. Like, <laughs> there's nothing about it is smooth. But then you become a band and things happen. So maybe we'll get there, I don't know. But um, it's kind of nice to just be together and kind of you know, freezing in this hall that echoes like nothing else. And we'll look back on it and we'll be like, wow, why did we do that? It was worth it, I promise. Um, <laughs> that's kind of where we're heading. Um, we're uh, starting a series in the book of John. Who has 
read the book of John in the last year or so? A few people. Yeah, got some hands. Nice. Uh, Book of John. I haven't read it in a while, um, but I've spent some time in the last couple of months reflecting on it and just preparing to actually go through it as a church. And I'm just loving it. I'm loving it. Um, And Carol, I'm going to put you on the spot because I just love the interview that you just did then. But it fits perfectly with what I was thinking about tonight because I've written here, we've all been to that job interview where the interviewer says, so tell me about yourself. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, and it, it strikes me that in the, has anyone been in that situation where it's like yeah or like those get to know you things at work where it's like turn to the person next to you and describe yourself as a balloon um, <laughs> and all of a sudden uh, I don't know if you're like me but all of a sudden you're like ooh I've got nothing to say there, there is nothing about me there is literally nothing that I do ever there's no words, like, like, I am so uninteresting, there's no point in actually, because all of a sudden you're asked, and I, I saw some of this struggle in you, you're asked to distill who you are into a bunch of words, and at that point words become really flimsy, uh, uh, and you realise how actual fallible English is, or maybe speaking is, like words just don't cut it, because you're asking someone to distill into a sentence their hopes and their dreams and their loved ones and their lost ones and their desires and their passions and their hobbies and we're kind of distilling it into a bunch of like syllables and glottal stops and it just doesn't work it it, it becomes real and so you say well meet me at the pub afterwards and we'll keep chatting (laughs) Um, (laughs) and and that's the the perfect way to do it because all of a sudden you realise don't don't listen to what I have to say in these sentences. Watch me. Watch my life. Watch how I live. Uh, look at how I spend my time and my money and my resources. Uh, look at who my friends are. Look at how I treat my friends. Look at the friends that I choose to treat as family. Uh, and maybe even more pointedly, look at how I treat those who stand against me. Um, then you'll actually get to know me. Uh, that, that's kind of how it works, isn't it? Um, and so the, one of the beauties of a church plan is we, we don't just have to have five words from Carrie. We actually get to get to know her. Um, but as we're starting this, this series in the book of John, uh, it begins with a word. Uh, it begins with words that God uses to describe himself. Uh, and so tonight we're asking alongside the book of John, how, how do we actually know God? Uh, how do we know the divine? Uh, how do we meet God? Is that even possible to know God? Um, now I'm going to say the answer is yes, and the answer is Jesus. Um, there you go, <laughs> gave it away. But we're going to try and take it one step further. And I'm going to suggest that in this passage, not only do we see God and see Jesus as a human, but we also see words that, uh, that give us meaning. Uh, that we then find ourselves in the narrative in really profound and beautiful ways. So that's kind of where we're heading. Hopefully we'll get to the end and it'll make a little bit sense, a bit of sense. Um, in the beginning, you all know this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens. heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. They are the words from the book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible, it opens with words. It's these words that God uses to create. 
The words are powerful. Words are creative. God's words are transformative. And as the, as the Bible goes on, um, we see God kind of trying to describe himself. Over, and we're reading these words, and sometimes they're confusing. Sometimes we get a little bit lost in them. Uh, our world has a myriad ways of trying to understand the divine. Yeah, there, There's so many different ways that you can seek to understand God. Um, some that I've kind of looked at in the last little while are, okay, do we turn inward? Do we look into the depths of ourselves and we're silent and we try and understand who God is from looking inward? That's uh, quite an Eastern religion concept uh, and there's some merit to it, I would suggest, because we are made in the image of God. Uh, there, there is something there, perhaps. Uh, or do we look at creation? Romans tells us the glory of God is set in his, his invisible qualities are seen by what's visible. So do we look at the ocean, the trees, the valleys, the deserts, the mountains? The, um, do we look at creation to understand the divine? Or do we look to the stars? Um, astrology. Do we look up into the night sky and seek God? Uh, or the stars that are beamed into our living rooms by Hollywood? Um, do we look to Oprah? Uh, these are all ways that our world seeks to understand God. Um, but at the end of the day, John 1 opens really simply. Uh, it says, if you want to know God, if you want to see God's self-revelation of himself, in other words, when God sits there in a job interview and someone says, hey, tell me about yourself, he doesn't say, okay, here's, here's a sentence or two. He says, well, let me show you. Uh, let me live amongst you. John chapter 1, verse 1. Look at your phones or your Bibles. In the beginning was the Word. And we can pretty much just replace the word, the word, with Jesus. Pretty clear synonym there. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Down to verse 14, uh, we see the Son, uh, who came from the Father, full of truth and grace. Or verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made God known. So God's saying, if you want to get to know me, uh, don't ask me for paragraphs, watch me. Watch where I sit and where I stand. Watch where I spend my time and my resources. Watch who it is that I choose to call my friends. Or which friends I choose to call family. Or maybe even more pointedly, watch how I treat those who would stand against me. Then we start to actually see God. The term uh, made him known in verse 18, you see it there. Um, the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. It's a great word. It's where we get the word exegete from. It's a theology kind of thing. But um, uh, one way of understanding that word is that uh, this is the story of when we view it. So Jesus shows us the story of God uh, or he narrates God to us. Uh, and in this passage in particular, the story of God is a revelation of light into a dark place. 
Now, I think that we can probably all agree that our world is in a pretty dark place. Um, I think we can all agree that the world needs a bit of love, needs a bit of light. Um, And I know for a fact that some of us in here are just in really dark places because that's where life is at this point. Uh, We live in a world where uh, religiosity has eclipsed relationship on so many fronts. Uh, And tragically, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this with a fair bit of confidence, uh, the darkness that many of us feel is from within the church itself. Um, Because people have weaponized God's words, His scripture. People have weaponized God's words and used God's words against people. And it feels dark, like we feel that in ourselves as darkness. Uh, and that is the story of religion over and over and over again. It's, it's words, whether it's God's words or humans' words, it doesn't matter. It's words that people have used over and against other people in order to marginalize, exclude, oppress. Uh, the Bible in particular has been weaponized against women, against people of color, against queer communities. That, that's, that's the reality that we live in. And so we hit John 1, and it says, The light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. And some of us struggle to look at the church and see it represent God. And a reminder for us tonight is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Because if you want to see God, you look to Jesus. That brings us to uh, the second thing that we see in this passage, uh, that God in Jesus is actually a human. Uh, That God has taken on human form and has made his dwelling amongst us. Uh, Verse 14, uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Um, Okay, let me read to you, let's get nerdy, Uh, the words of Athanasius, uh, Athanasius, theologian from Egypt, 4th century, so we're talking like early, early church, it's just, it's a bit of a church plant in and of itself, they're working out, okay, what what does this even mean, that God, like they haven't had this concept really embedded into their worldview for a long time, so what does it mean that God could become human? This is what Athanasius says, the Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and teach suffering humans. For one who wanted to make a display, the thing would have been to appear and dazzle. Dazzle the beholders. But for him who came to heal and to teach, the way was not merely to dwell here, but to put himself at the disposal of those who needed him. Gosh, that's good. Gosh, that's good. Theological terms, we're talking about the incarnation. It's this idea that God could and would and did take on human flesh. Uh, Come in appearance as a man and be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And there's so much in this that we're going to dive into in the book of John. So think of this as like a bit of a foretaste as we think of the idea of God becoming human. But let me read to you the, the words from a theologian, Darby Kathleen Ray. Uh, She says this, and it's a bit long, but she just captures it really powerfully. And this is kind of one of the things that we're going to unpack a lot over the next little while as we go through the book of John. 
The choice to become finite makes no sense at all if God's godness is all about power, authority, and mastery. The decision to become body is unintelligible if God's primary aim is to establish rule over a spiritual world or a heavenly kingdom. Only if God's main concern is love does incarnation make sense. Only if God is a God whose primary aim is whole-making relationship does this strange move of incarnation become intelligible. When one loves with infinite depth and divine ferocity, one cannot keep such feelings to oneself. One is compelled by the force of love itself to express it, to reach out to the other and hence risk rejection or misunderstanding. This is precisely what God does in Jesus. God reaches out to the world in love, becomes vulnerable to rejection and misunderstanding. God does not remain aloof or immune to the pain and struggle of finite existence, but enters fully into it, experiencing the good and the evil, the ecstasy and the agony that are all part of real living. Powerful, isn't it? Her words there, divine ferocity. Such passionate love that God would actually dwell amongst us. So, if we want to know God, we have to look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we discover this love that is self-sacrificial, that is giving, that is other-centered. And we see this love which is deeply countercultural to the world that we live in. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of Jesus that you and I are staking our lives on. That's the kind of community that we want to create here. Uh, that self-sacrificial giving, because it's based on the same love that Jesus gave us. That's cool, hey? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm not alone in that. Um, like, it's, it's pretty undeniably amazing that that's the kind of image that we get of God. Uh, that, that is the word of God. Um, it would be this, uh, good at this point just to stop for half a moment and look at that, that word, word? Gosh, that's hard to say. Uh, the, the word, word, within John 1. Um, it's, it's the term logos. Some of you would have come across it. Uh, it's the idea that in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God and was God. It's, it's a Greek word, um, and it was really commonly used in the Greek, Greco-Roman world amongst ancient Israelites, Kind of, it's there, and it means a whole bunch of things. It could mean reason, as in like higher thinking reason. It could mean uh, wisdom. Uh, logic is a word that we get from it, uh, the logos. We, we get the word logic from it. Um, order, like divine order or created order. It's a whole bunch of the ideas all crammed into one idea. But the reason that it was so popular and that people pursued it within philosophy so much was because the Logos ultimately told you your place in society. 
The Logos ultimately told you where you actually fit in the pecking order. In the hierarchy of the universe, the Logos, with all its logic and reason and profundity, tells you where you actually fit in. And so to know the Logos was to find wisdom of how you should live the good life, what, what that should actually look. Into that, John 1 really deliberately, I think, makes a profound statement that the Logos is not a principle, but a person. Um, the Logos is not a philosophy, but a living, breathing human being. Um, wisdom is not an idea or a thought, but it's somebody who dwelt in our midst. It's no longer blind reason and rationality. Uh, it's relationship. Um, and so the question then, of in this grand narrative of God that Jesus reveals, where do I find my place in this world? The answer is no longer found by an endless pursuit of more knowledge or a mystery that we have to unravel and discover in order to become people of God. Uh, it's an encounter with the one who created the world. That is the Logos. That is where you fit. That is the knowledge that we have. Uh, and so that, that brings us to kind of the third reality of this passage. We've seen, in order to know God, we look at Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see this God who is completely self-sacrificial and giving, full of abundant love. Uh, this is where we find ourselves in the passage. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, so all who uh, believed in him, aligned with him, put their allegiance with him, to all who did receive him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So that endless question that, that, that each of us has faced and that we will continue to face, what is my worth? Where do I fit in this story? Uh, that question is no longer answered by what you bring to the table. Uh, that, that's done. Uh, you find your worth by what is given to you. And what's given to you is the right to be a child of the Most High God. Co-heirs to the eternal riches of the kingdom. Because um, you know, like you know as well as I know, that this world will put work in all sorts of things. Uh, and that is where you find your value. Uh, you, you are of value to society if you are educated. Uh, you are of worth if you are wealthy. Uh, you are of worth if you are a certain sexual orientation. Uh, you are of worth if you are a certain colour. You are worth, of worth if you are not a drug addict or a criminal. Um, you are of worth if you have good mental health. Then you, you can add value to society. Uh, but when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the God story of the world, um, all matters of elitism, that's what they are. 
all matters of elitism are subsumed into the knowledge that our identity is not earned, it's not born into, it's not achieved, it's given. It's given to us. Um, and so each of us in this room, each person that we come across in the world, we can say that well, God has given you the right to become children of God. So for us, here that reality is deeply comforting. It's deeply comforting. Uh, for so long, uh, people may have pointed at you and your life and said, you don't belong at this table. You don't belong in this community. You don't get, get to count yourself amongst the community of the saints. Uh, there's no place for you in this kingdom. Your gifts are not welcome here. Uh, your gender is not welcome here. Your mental health is not welcome here. Uh, they've been loud and clear and they've said abundantly, please leave us. If you're here today and that is you, Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, I, the creator, by whom and through whom all things were made, I, Jesus, am giving you the right to call yourself a child of the Most High God. And nothing can separate you from the love that is in God. You can eat at this table. Welcome home. That's, that's the message that Jesus is giving each and every one of us. I think some of us just need to sit in that and recognise that glory, that incredible truth. We're going to come back to that, but I want to take a little detour and say that this reality is not just comforting, uh, it's also really challenging. That this is the part where I'm like, oh, I'm reflecting on this, but I don't like to. This is the, this is the part where I, I put the hard word on myself. Um, because on the one hand, I'm embraced by the love of God to be a child of God. And so it's great. But then also I have to turn around and extend that to my siblings who I really don't get along with. Not my biological siblings, I get along with them. <laughs> but my siblings in Christ who I struggle with. And so let me tell you what I've been really tempted to do recently. Um, and I don't know if you're the same as me, but th this, is, uh, this has been my weeks. I've been so angry at people who would have the gall to use God's name to not wear masks. That has made me so angry. Um, or the people who've used God's name to stand against the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, it, it fills me with this confused rage that becomes quite visceral. Um, and it, it is particularly coming out of the States and the, the evangelical world. Uh, the evangelical world is my tribe. They're, they're the people who I so often connect with and they're blatantly ignoring science and they are standing for really racist policies. And I get so angry at them. How do I sit with the fact that Jesus, as much as me, turns to them 
and says, I give you, my dearly beloved, the right to be my child. I hate that. Like, come on, just like, oh, that is scandalous. That is scandalous. Uh, that, uh, but that's the gospel. The gospel is scandalous. Because all of those forms of elitism that were used on us, I want to turn it and use it on them. I wanted to actually know, like, now that I've found my place in the kingdom, you're out. Like, that, that's what I want to do. Um, we have to stop fighting fire with fire at that point. Um, because all that does is embed another form of elitism, which is the message of Jesus is really clear. I have chosen... I, the creator of the universe, have said, any who call upon my name are my children. So where does that leave me? Somehow I need to learn grace. I need to recognize that all are created in the divine image of God. And when I'm tempted to cast someone out of the kingdom, I remember that once upon a time someone tried that on me. And it didn't work. It was just damn painful and made a mockery of God. And so as we create New City, as, as we seek to be people of God in Sydney and Australia and as global citizens, somehow we have to rise above the rhetoric and be people of abundant grace that welcome people in, that draw people closer. And as they draw closer to Jesus, I trust that God's Spirit is powerful enough to show them the error of their ways. And I will speak powerfully against it. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to take it lying down. Uh, I'm going to speak against those actions because they're deeply anti-Jesus. But I'm also going to keep striving to pull them closer. What I wish they'd done to me. Um, and so somehow, we've got to do that. that. That's the challenge. That's the bit that I don't like to reflect on. Um, but perhaps it's the case that the more and more that we understand that our value, our worth, our existence is based in the reality that we are children of God, the more that we reflect on that beauty, the more space we actually have to open up our arms. Um, the more grounded we are in the reality of God's goodness, the more comforting it is for us to say, no, we can welcome you. To follow the, the logos, the logic of this world, gosh, it's exhausting, isn't it? Um, and it's been painful. But to follow the true logos, uh, the true wisdom, uh, the one who offers us divine relationship, uh, to call yourself the child of the Most High God, that's refreshing. Um, that's comforting. Um, and because of Christ's forgiveness, we are drawn in to be a part of this community. Now, our role at the end of the day, as we go through John, you'll see it again and again and again. Our role is to identify ourselves as children of God and then, gloriously, to bear witness. Uh, to simply point to the light. So in a world that is dark, in a world that is chaotic uh, and confusing, 
and off-putting um, and just tastes really bad. Um, how good is it to know that we have a God of light um, who isn't distant, who isn't aloof, loves with a divine ferocity and steps down into our world to dwell with us. Let me pray. Jesus, you are the one who did not, did not consider equality with God something to be used to your own advantage, but instead you made yourself nothing. You were born as a human and found in the appearance as a man you were obedient to death, even death on a cross. For that, Jesus, we give you glory. Because you poured yourself out that we we might become children of the Most High God. We stand as your children, knowing that we are forgiven and cleansed. That when you see us, you see workmanship of the highest standard. And God, we praise you that we can know that we are loved. For some of us, it's going to be a long journey before we can know that to our core. So God, we ask for for a measure of your spirit to convince us of that truth. And God, where we struggle to love ourselves and bring ourselves in line with who you've called us to be, God, we ask that you would guide us. And as we turn as individuals and as a church to our world, we ask that we would faithfully point to Jesus, the divine Logos, the one who was and is and is to come. God, ultimately, we pray all these things for your glory, because you're amazing. Amen.